Welcome to the P4C Podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 13 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C Podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2020, Discipleship, Learning to Live in Grace. We now continue with part two from last week's message. We hope you are encouraged and challenged. So we'll, we'll move into the next question here, and this one is kind of directed at you, Matt, directly just because it is in regards to something you said in one of your messages, and it says, what do you mean by fear and joy go together in the economy of God? And that was in reference to Matthew 28, 8, and the sermon you preached there. Yeah, well, a couple of things. We talked about this in prep. Uh, kudos to you for catching uh, an aside comment, whoever said that, because I said that as part of my lead-in to Matthew 28, and I didn't develop it that much, and then the lights went out in Georgia, and there was a bunch of stuff going <laughs> on. So uh, whoever caught that, I mean, that, that's big. It also just reminds me of something that I've, that I've really found to be true. If you want to have good expositional listeners, don't insult their intelligence. Uh, and you are good expositional listeners. And I have a congregation full of people that are good listeners. You know, they're good listeners. I don't... <laughs> I don't ever utter a syllable by which I don't expect to be accountable for what I said. We should feel that way anyway as preachers. But if you really have a high respect for the listeners, and I do you, I really do. I'm not just trying to fluff you up. Then I am aware that you're hanging on every word and expecting those words to be thought out. And I'm not that they're perfect words, right? I mean, I'm accountable. Sometimes I, I make mistakes and say things wrong and things don't. But nevertheless, I need to be trying to say things precisely, that's what's needed. You caught that. So I know that seems like a real big aside from fear and joy, but that was not the thesis of the sermon, okay? But it was there, and it was in the earlier part of Matthew 28, and I stand by it, and here's why. Anytime there's what we call a theophany or a Christophany, a God appearing, that's the theological term for God appearing, in the Bible, if you study the God appearances, the theophanies, when you see a theophany in the Bible, there is a simultaneously generally speaking, a fear and then a joy. If you know the Lord, that is. It's obviously just fear if you don't. But you're afraid. It's like this, this wow, this is the better father. You know, this is the best light. I'm darkness. It's like, wow, I don't have enough sunglasses for this. There's no way. I can't get away from this. this I'm afraid. And then he calls us friend, like I'm a friend of God kind of stuff. And there's this joy. And this is what happens with the woman at, women at the tomb. Like there's this experience where they're in the presence of God. And then they're, well, angels, but also there's, remember, Jesus appears in another narrative as well. And there's this simultaneous fear followed by joy. And it's both mentioned there in Matthew 28, if you read that. Uh, so I think they go together. They don't seem like they do. They seem like two things that don't go together, but I think they go together. Uh, think of perfect love casts out fear in the Bible. So perfect love casts out the wrong kind of fear, like a, a paralytic fear where... Misplaced fear. Yeah, misplaced fear. Yeah. I think that's where you picked up. So I'll, I'll kick to you there. But joy and, joy and fear, I think, go together in that way. Yeah. As we were talking about this, you know, David said something that seems totally incongruous. incongruous. It seemed like they don't go together. When he said... Um, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Forgiveness means ah. Uh, fear means mm, like 
Matt was saying, that they don't seem to go together. But the truth is, we, we find joy in forgiveness because we know the one who's the only one who has the authority, the holiness, the awe, the, the ability to forgive. So you're in the presence of this one. He's the, only, he's the only holy one, righteous one. We're in his presence. And because of Christ, the joy of forgiveness. Uh, similar situation to in Isaiah 6. Uh, in the year the king Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple and uh, the the seraphim were there with their, sings, with their wings and so forth. And they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Whole earth is full of his glory. That's about as you know, blinding as you can get. Yeah. <clears throat> then came the experience uh, of I'm done, done. I'm, uh, I'm done. I am. Um, I, I, I don't have anything uh, to say. Woe is me. And then the angel comes, takes some tongs with coal and a coal off the altar and puts it on his lips of all places. There's pain. And then said, your sins have been cleansed. And then the Lord says, who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, now, this can only happen in this tension of this all that he just talked about and the joy of forgiveness and God's commissioning. Here am I, send me. This is how it is with me and Mr. Cavanaugh. When we get together, it's like it goes on for hours and then our wives are sort of like, are you ever going to be quiet so that we can... <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm like, I'm dying to say something. I'm like, thank you for bringing up Holy, Holy, Holy. I'm excited about it. You should have been yeah. with us when we had coffee talking about all these messages we were going to preach. We're trying, say, Guys, we're trying I go not to, to let work. that happen. We won't ever go to the... <laughs> no offense to you, but you're immaterial here. We'll just start going back and forth. You guys will be playing volleyball for six hours. We'll be like, wait, they're gone. What happened? You know, like, uh, cut my well, mic. We do know? have only about 10 or 15 yeah. minutes left. So okay, well, I'll Take it all. Here we go. (laughs) No, I have to say this, though. I really do off of that. There's application for our worship services. I know you all want to be personal and cushy with your friend God, but reverential fear is our approach. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That's a triplex of the holy. God's not your buddy first. He's God. And then you're like, wow, he wants to be personal with me. So when you come to the throne of grace in worship, it's good if you have a sobriety about how your cadre of believers comes to worship. It's good if the order of worship um, seeks to the gravitas of what's happening here. This is a vertical affair from call to worship to benediction. So seek that out in your corporate worship. Yeah. So speaking of sobriety... It was a question that got thrown into here, and I, I think it's easy to answer, so I'll take care of it, okay? So we don't have to worry about it. It says, which is the better college football team, Oklahoma or Texas? It's a big rivalry. Oklahoma has more national championship, having trophy winners, lots more recent success, but Texas definitely has more wins all time. Who is better? The answer to that is Alabama. So, <laughs> Moot point. moving on. So, <laughs> I know the point of that question was to catch me and to catch you. I know what that's directed at. We'll move on. So we're good on that one. <laughs> Pardon our arrogance, but doesn't matter. Uh, if you want to talk about with this afterwards, we'll be glad to discuss further. That's so. right. uh, anyway, so. So is that you? No. The lawyer in the bunch. Okay, there we go. Yeah. yeah of course, of course. Uh, yeah. 
The next question we have here, have you seen a change in people's attention to pursuing the things of God, both in the church and in the world? And the context they ask that question is specifically in lieu of COVID and the current events that we're experiencing. I mean, 2020 has been a pretty crazy year. Um, do you feel like, we'll start with you with being a pastor of church. Yeah. No. Okay. That's a short answer. Why? Well, I was trying to redeem the time. I thought no would help. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I just don't think Christ. You got 30 seconds. I, yeah, I don't think Christ sees <laughs> I'll a, answer it for yeah. you. I don't, you want to? Yeah. I don't, okay, please do. Yeah, I'll say what you said. He has a very mature church. COVID didn't matter. He's, he, he's been there 20 years. He's built his life there 20 years. He's built Christ there 20 years. They love Jesus. They're I'm not, not saying, no, no, but COVID didn't matter. Okay? Now, I can't say that everywhere. Uh, and and, and I'm, I'm not comparing our churches. There's some people, folks here that are members of the church who are members. But there are folks who still in our congregation come in late, leave early, come in as late as possible, Leave before the last amen. You hardly, if you want to talk to them or see them, you better be back there. because, and, and then and there's those who are spasmodic in attendance. You know what that word spasmodic means? Uh, so apparently you see a change, but there's not a change. Let me just say, too, I, I am unabashedly thankful in God. You know, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There's not very many things just, I set myself up as an exemplar on, yeah. but staying, some of you guys, it would, I mean, I'd walk every step of the way with you, by the way. You can ask any of my peers. I would. If five of you, three of you, two of you went to a church transition situation, took a pastoral position and stayed for decades through the hard. Yeah. If you did that, you know how proud of you I'd be? Like, like we talk, I don't care if it's 50 people, 20 people, 50, 30 people. I don't care if people, 200 people, 300. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is, would you apply what you're professing so steadily that you wouldn't really necessarily see the goal until the other side? I think long-term pastorates are a beautiful picture of the gospel in action. And I can say that because I've had to be propped up to stay. I mean, it's not like I've been just super, I mean, people have helped me stay, but I'm so glad I stayed. I can't imagine leaving. I mean, maybe I will, but I cannot imagine, like, I don't wake up in the morning looking at the one ads for pastors. Go find a place and give your life to it. You don't develop trust in a day. You know, Whether you're a layman or a pastor. Right, yeah. right. So I, COVID didn't affect us that much, but I think it did other places. But having so said that, I'm not comparing our pastor and our ministry, his ministry, different points in the process. I'm simply saying, yes, apparently, but no, not really. What something like COVID does is it, it shows what we are. It shows if we mean business, you know. On oh, an individual and a corporate basis. And Daniel yeah. talked about this. Yeah, we, now people can stay home and watch online. Well, you know what happens to somebody who really doesn't care. And I'm not thinking of anybody necessarily in particular. I'm just saying they just, then they stop watching online and they'll show back up. Well, and I'll give an example to that. We have one of the larger churches um, in our place, and I, I don't really know a lot about the church at all, so I don't even want to pretend to know that they're doing faithful ministry or not. But a, a mutual friend there who goes there said one of the things they noticed was is that as things begin to open up in our state, we could go back into service and in-person service, that um, their attendance did not go up, but the streaming went down. 
Now, that was particular to this church, and I've heard that for some other churches too. So I think what we're trying to say is the community aspect and the strength and vitality of the church is important. And so why not stay at a place at a long time, invest in it, and hopefully in 20 years we have another pandemic, pray that we don't. Okay, you see what happens. And with our own church that we're attached to, vitally involved in, the people who are serious, except for those who have physically compromising conditions, who ought to stay home. But the general response of those who love Christ and are hungry and want to be back to the community beliefs, they're there. Yep, they're there. And the giving hasn't changed that much. Nope. So, no. That's the short answer. I tried to give you the negative particle. <laughs> We're done. Eh. Right. I, would it have been better if I just said, eh? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, we just had too much good a conversation around the table, so I'm trying to draw that out. So, Okay, with the remaining time here, we have two questions. Um, what are some of your favorite verses or passages on discipleship that haven't been taught in this weekend? And I, listening to you guys talk, y'all were like, well, we pretty much covered them all. <laughs> um, well, and I mean, you, your favorite, you know, the ones that you would go to, um, I think one that I said in particular, and you even mentioned it in one of your messages, you may mention it more than once, Acts. I think Acts, though it's a narrative, really does begin to tell the story of the church and what that looks like, smells like, tastes like. And I think it's a good place to go to learn and see people beginning to start that process of discipleship. Because if you think about it, Jesus rose, left, and then he went out, and then you had the, you know, Pentecost, and things just start happening, you know, and they start developing, and the process begins to grow. And I mean, you're adding like 3,000 people. I mean, think about that. So I think Acts is a good place to go to, just to kind of almost narrative storytelling, I get a, a picture of that. Matt and I were talking. Surprise, and, surprise. And we both agreed. We don't really have favorite passages. I mean... Years ago, my wife asked me, I think she wasn't my wife yet, but uh, I was helping her and her uh, roommate put a tree up, and I cut a knot off the side, and she put, she asked, what's your favorite verse? I didn't know what she's doing, but she decoupaged that on there. And, I mean, there are verses that I love, but the truth is, the whole scripture, in particular the New Testament, is about discipleship. It's about what Matt preached today from Colossians 1. Paul's goal, my goal, I told my associate, the last church I pastored, I said, Here's what we, this is what we want to do. We want to bring as many people as possible to maturity in Christ. That's the goal of every ministry. It has to be. That's discipleship. It's making disciples. It's being a disciple, whether you're a pastor or you're just, just a layman you know, or a laywoman. Uh, so it's all about discipleship in that yeah. sense. Thoughts on that, Matt? I love the question, what's your favorite Bible verse? And I just think as an expositor, it's all of them. Uh, because it, there's apt passages and proof texts for all these different... I need a better question, or not, that is a good question, but I need a more narrow question. I meant to say, like, what is your favorite Bible passage for worry? Or what is your favorite Bible passage for love? Or, uh, you know, something... Because I just... I just, I'm just telling you, this thing, this Bible... I didn't carry it up here because I, I have it on my phone and because I knew I needed these notes and I didn't have enough hands, but... That dagger, that Bible, that print Bible, that uh, Charles's Bible, Mr. Kavanaugh's Bible, right there, that thing is just like you can't overemphasize that thing. 
I mean, it's just so much. It's just so good. I wish we had time to preach some Old Testament sermons too. You know, I know we. I know we're trying to hit the nub of of New Covenant discipleship, but uh, there's a richness whenever we're going tracking through redemption history and seeing uh, types. And there's just so many things. The Bible's just so rich. So. I could I could throw a few verses out that have meant things to me in space across time, uh, but it's the apt verse for that season of my life is the one that I mm-hmm. I cherish um, the most. I think in thinking about it, I did come up with a verse, uh, two different passages that that see I can't even pick a verse out of passages, but uh, there was the one in uh, in the in, they're both in Matthew. It was uh, what was James and uh, John's mom's name? Is it? Is it Salome? Is it Salome? Peter, or it's James and John. They fished with Peter. I thought it was Salome. But anyway, but, but whatever the case may be, we'll we'll meet this out. But in Matthew <laughs> um, twenty, I think there's this story into nineteen where uh, she comes to Jesus. He's pouring his heart out in ministry. She comes. He's like, hey, I um, need to work out this deal. I want my boys to be greatest in the kingdom. You know this story. <laughs> and it's like, and you're like, oh, man, somebody to the rescue. And then the other ones come along, and they're like, well, we didn't think of it first. They're mad because they didn't think of it first, you know. And so there's this big, and Jesus like, the greatest among me is going to be a servant. In, in the same gospel, there's the centurion earlier in the gospel. And the centurion, I think it's Matthew 8, uh, he, uh, he, Jesus, he comes to Jesus. He doesn't even come to Jesus on behalf of himself. He comes on behalf of his servant who had a, a sickness, a need. And he says, hey, would you, would you heal my servant? And, and Jesus says, well, yeah, where, where is your servant? And the, the centurion says, well, I'm a man that is in authority and under authority. I understand authority. And my understanding of your authority is it's senior to all. And so if you would, just from where you're at, just say it and it'll be done. You can just say it and it'll be done. And it was. And Jesus said, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. So what I would say is, is that the words of Jesus, believe them. He is senior in authority. Believe what he's given you. And each word from that book will be precious at a different time in your pilgrimage in Christ. And just trust that he has given you enough Trust the sufficiency of Scripture. Go where it's exposited. Give your life to understanding it. You'll never be sorry. You'll never be sorry that you believed in the efficacy of those words that will not pass away. Amen. Last question here. Um, What are some practical ways to determine, and I think this is a key word, determine, and uh, combat idolatry in our lives, especially considering the increasingly... um, culture that likes to consume and live off of that consumption. Um, so how do we combat idolatry um, and determine it in our lives, kind of dissect it and know it's there? Uh, go ahead. Uh, to determine and to combat is two different things. Some of you talked to me after the second sermon I did when I quoted Douglas Wilson on morbid introspection. Do you remember that? Where you're you're looking at yourself, and your head needs to be pulled off yourself so you can see out. Does anybody remember that? Yeah. Okay, most of you do. Okay, well, I mean, there was the lights went out, and there was a there was this uh, you know Tom's up here fixing things and, and graciously, and I'm shouting. I didn't know, but there was a few of you I knew that heard it because you came up and, and talked to me afterwards. Well, I think there's a distinction between combating idolatry and was it determining? Was that the other word you used? Determine idolatry. So if, if in that quote that I used in that sermon, if you, 
if it's a problem like lust or uh, yeah, I think he, Doug Wilson lists some other things there. You know what the problem is. I know what the problem is. It's determined. We can make a plan and combat it. You know, you know, we use things like Covenant Eyes is one of the sites we use for. I mean, it's, it's pretty standard because the problem's clear. It doesn't make the problem any less difficult. Lust, porn, whatever. It doesn't make it less difficult, but there's kind of a standard order of operations for if you're willing to submit, this is how we tackle this thing. The, the issue becomes when the sin is subtle, Morbid introspection is more subtle. It's a certain kind of self-absorption. You know, that's why those things were so shocking last night. It's because we we're like the rich young ruler. Like, we got, every, we got the whole house of cards put together, but we're, all of a sudden somebody rattles us. That's why Douglas Wilson is such a great rhetorician of our time. He's just he's so apt in what he says. And that's why that, when I read his stuff yesterday, I couldn't have said it better than he did. That's why I read it. But, you know, the morbidly introspective person does this. So I think if it's idolatry that is easily determined then we can talk about how to combat that issue. If you're talking about how to determine idolatry, I mean, John Calvin said that our hearts are idol factories. We're all a bunch of little idol factories. We're constantly doing the Exodus 32 thing of erecting golden calves in our little lives. So it, when it's a subtle idol, uh, well, you really need to be embedded in community and covenant community and be around people that, that they know what you fear you know what they fear. You actually trust them. They actually trust you, and you're going into deeper levels of trust so that the subtle things can be meted out. And that, that's having that safe place to interact. Your pastor and I are friends, and he talks about having a safe place to interact a lot. Yep. It's a very good concept. I'm glad he yeah. talks about that. Having a safe place to interact for that is critical. It's really what the whole economy of the church is about. I shouldn't say economy because I've been throwing that around a lot. It's what the whole church situation is about. Um, so I'm more troubled by helping you determine an idol that's hard to determine than I am about how to combat it. If you come to me and tell me you believe you have an idol of one of those things I said a while ago, we can figure that out. And that's not unimportant, by the way. If you do, we need to do that. But the trickier discussion philosophically is how do you determine an idol when it's subtle? You don't know what's there. So. Right. And, and I think something we have to realize, I mean, they use the, the culture that consumes but I don't know that idolatry has been any less in the past. I just think we have more opportunities, more ways, more creative ways to do it. But, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, they were pretty good at it. I mean, other places, the, the Israelites were good at it. I mean, they figured out a way to idolize things other than worshiping God, you know, in their heart. So I, don't, I think we have to realize, yes, we have a lot of things that distract us. Don't, I mean, there's a lot of things I feel like we could do without. But at the end of the day, the heart of it is still the same, you know, and I think we have to realize that. Yeah, I, and maybe we could just simplify the whole issue of idolatry. When in Colossians chapter 3, where we're told to set our affections on things above, now that's, the, that's the answer, isn't it? Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And then after Paul says that, he says, uh, mortify or put to death before your members. Uh, or what is earthly, the ESV says, in you. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So what we're really doing as disciples is working on a covetous heart that's not satisfied with Jesus, that wants stuff more than it wants Jesus. And each of us has to identify that as we walk, as we go, you know, I might idolize chocolate, dark chocolate, and you might idolize vanilla ice cream. You know, I, I, I use those as sort of silly 
it's not going to be exactly the same. We're all working on the covetousness thing, the want. You know, I, I never have enough stuff. I, you know, I don't make all that much money, but I'm, it's always something else I want to buy. You, you find that? You know, you, it's better for me not to go to flea markets very much. I'll always see something there, you know. Um, it, it's that, that lack of contentment. Contentment is the opposite of covetousness, which is idolatry. That's what we focus on. Lord, help me to love Jesus more than anything. Help me to be content in Christ. Help me. Amen. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for answering these questions. If in any way those who ask these questions don't feel like it was clarified, you can always come up and ask more clarifying questions. Um, But just giving you the opportunity to to kind of hear those responses, I think it's been good. Good for my soul, just hearing you guys talk and interacting together. Um, basically, what you're seeing right here is what happens when we get together for coffee. So this is it's really a great time. I do want to make uh, one quick announcement. Um, through the generous, uh, I don't want to say donation, they gave them to us at a very reduced rate. Um, Nine Marks, you've heard us talk about them this weekend a lot. He's given out books from them. Um, they gave this at a reduced cost so we could give it at, to you guys. It's on discipling, this little book. They have more books on different issues, but this one's a really good, easy read. I think what you'll find is that after we've kind of biblically built the foundation, this book will be good to kind of practically outwork it in the flesh um, and how you do it every day. So this is yours for free to take home. Uh, read it, reread it, underline it. If you got questions, hey, shoot us a message, email us, we'll go from there. But this is yours to take home. Um, It's your gift um, for the weekend. And if you didn't get one, uh, they'll hand them all out there. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious sound of your believers singing your praises. And we thank you that we can seek you. And we do say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about P4C, visit our website at p4csummit.org. Or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org. We hope you can join us next week on the P4C podcast as we dive into a new session from Passion for Christ 2020. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for His glory each and every day.